minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World, this week broadcast by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live via 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. So if you need to change somebody's nappy, the bikey next door needs a cup of sugar for his lab, don't despair. The program is podcast. You can... Go to 3cr.org.au and pick it up at your leisure. My name is Joseph Tosco. I'm hosting today's program. Ah, here we go again. The word anarchist, anarchy, anarchism. What does it all mean? Very simple. Anarchos without rulers. So, if there are no religious or secular rulers to keep us in our place... Is the fact that we are tainted with original sin mean that we will rape, pillage and murder each other ad nauseum? Or will we discover other mechanisms via which people can live in an egalitarian way? And obviously, if you want to create a society without rulers, then you need to devolve power and you need to share wealth. And you devolve power through direct democratic processes where the people involved in the decision make that decision, then appoint or elect recallable delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local, regional, national, even international level. If you want people to have the same opportunities, wealth needs to be held in common. doesn't mean we all use the same toothbrush or toothpick but in terms of the major things that are required for a individual to survive and prosper and develop themselves to their fullest potential, wealth needs to be held in common. So they're the, the basic tenets of an anarchist society. Now, how we get there, how it's structured, are all matters which are constantly debated. But getting back to the real world... I can't believe this. There's an old man has stumbled into the studios. I don't know what he's doing here. I think he's looking for his something, maybe his wallet. Who knows? But that's another story. You dropped your pen. You came and disturbed me because you lost a bloody two cents pen. Get out. Just, just get out. Get out. Get out. I can't believe this. Here I am trying to make sense of the world, and he comes into the studio unannounced looking for a pen. Extraordinary things we have to put up with. Ethics and morals. Interesting, isn't it? Now, when the 
cricket scandal broke, I wasn't that perturbed or fussed. And I didn't really realise the significance of what had happened. So I'm not much of a sports follower. But when I saw patient after patient unannounced, you know, almost cry about what had happened, I thought, hmm, maybe, maybe I should take a little bit of notice of what's occurring, what people are saying, why they feel so cut up about it all. I mean, eventually it is a sport, right? Gambling occurs, people are paid well. It's a sport, okay? Nobody lives or... Well, I won't say that. Not many people live or die depending on the result. It's a sport. And I remember that old Australian English saying, it's not cricket. It's not cricket. An allergy to the fact that if something's not quite right, it's a bit dodgy, a bit smelly, it's not cricket, you know me, man. It's not cricket. So possibly what we are seeing is something that goes beyond somebody, you know, playing with a ball. Not their balls, although I think that's what the tape was doing. But, some, you know, it goes far beyond the fact that somebody tampered with a ball. Now, obviously... Cheating is part and parcel of professional sport. We've even now got the situation where they're going to x-ray bikes to see they've got little miniature engines in them to help competitors forget about the drug testing. And then we saw the, you know, the kerfuffle regarding the Russian team, the fact that uh, you know, many of them were, were uh, pin-up boys and girls for the pharmaceutical industry, but that's another matter. So professional sport... Is sport, you know, we've always been interested in sport, but this goes beyond that. This goes beyond a little bit of ball tampering, a little bit of cheating, because that that's part and parcel of professional sport, especially when you link professional sport with gambling, alcohol, advertising, and uh, pretty decent wages for the top of the crop, but especially the gambling aspect of it. But it's not just the game, whether you win or lose, but it's who makes money on the game, as we see in horse racing, as we see in uh, many other sports. We see people throwing games because of the influence of the gambling industry. But this is goes much more. This goes to the very essence of who we are as a nation. And maybe, I'm not exaggerating when I say, It may be a wake-up call to the people of this country how people who behave ethically and morally are, in 2018, considered to be losers, total losers. And those organisations and individuals who behave unethically and immorally, seem to get the gravy. They seem to get the biggest prawn on the barbie, if not all the prawns on the barbie. 
They seem to be, you know, driving the Lamborghinis. They seem to be able to afford the five-star hotels and the first-class tickets around the world. While ordinary people going about their day-to-day lives, trying to look after their responsibilities and their children, trying to make a buck, pay their taxes on time, pay their bills, the backbone of this nation's taxation system, over 70% of every dollar that comes in taxation doesn't come from the you know, companies, comes from pay-as-you-earn taxpayers, they're considered to be losers, total losers for obeying the law, paying their taxes, acting ethically as far as their neighbours and their uh, interpersonal relationships are concerned. And everybody else, you know, makes hay while they eat gruel. Extraordinary, isn't it? So maybe, just maybe, what at first to me seemed like a little sporting aside, is something that strikes at the very heart, at the very conscience, at the very essence, at the very being of what it is to be an Australian in 2018. Maybe we are having a mirror held up to us. And what we see is not very pleasant. It's a little bit like when I look in the mirror occasionally. What I see is an ageing body, an ageing face. And maybe when we hold this mirror up to Australian society, we can see that there's a lot of ugly things happening in the land of milk and honey. And despite all the advantages of having... 24 million people living on a mineral-rich continent, that somehow we can't seem to make a fist of it. And maybe this cheating on the cricket field is just the very wake-up call that people need to look at how we face, the how we find ourselves in this situation in 2018, because there have been major changes. And those regular listeners and new listeners to the Anarchist World this week will understand that these major changes over the last four to five decades have seen a profound change, not just in inequality, but a, a, a profound change in what is culturally acceptable. What is the norm in 2018? And a lot of this can be related directly to the changes that have been introduced to the economic system in order to maximise profits for the investment class. That small section of society, about 9 to 10% of Australian society, that has a disposable income to use this country's investment-friendly taxation laws, whether it's uh, you know uh, tax imputation credits, 
getting tax deductions for owning a second home, and the list goes on and on. I mean, corporate welfare accounts for almost $58 billion per year in lost income in this country. So maybe the fact that we've embarked on a deregulation trajectory, and that in plain English means that all the laws that were created over the last before in the 40s and 50s and 60s to protect individuals from the arbitrary exercise of company power and state power are removed, removed to facilitate the maximisation of profitability for corporations. Deregulation. All those laws that were put in place to ensure that there are food handling laws, that there are laws which govern the way buildings are structured. And as we've seen more and more laws being removed, which protect individuals from harm, we see an increasing inequality in this country. And remember, you know, we're not some piddly little island which is sinking in the middle of the Pacific. Well, we aren't some country as poor as Bangladesh which is forced to look after a, a million refugees that are, you know, poured over the Burmese border, the Myanmar border in three or four months, you know. A country which is basically on a floodplain. You've got hundreds of millions of people living on a floodplain. We're 24 million people living on a bloody continent. Mineral rich. Mineral rich. Agriculturally rich in comparisons to many parts of the world. Then, we've seen the privatisation cancer, which eats away the very ethical positions we have on ensuring that nobody falls through the safety net which was created through the social security system to ensure that at least everybody has the ability to survive and have their basic human needs met physically, maybe not emotionally, but physically. And what we've seen with the privatisation mania that has swept the country, which has been the mantra of the, you know, all the major parties and most of the minor parties, what we have seen is organisations which were government-owned, which were there to provide services which the corporate sector refused to provide or to ensure that competition, that's right, competition continued within the marketplace as we saw with the Commonwealth Bank when it was sold in the 1980s. We got a, Royal, we got a Banking Royal Commission which the Turnbull government was forced to hold. Couldn't hold, couldn't hold back the tide anymore, could he, old Mr Turnbull? He wasn't King Canute, although King Canute, you know, understood that you can't hold back the tide, although his courtiers didn't understand that. But old King Canute Turnbull had to hold this Royal Commission. So why have we got to this stage? The privatisation mania. 
if there was a, a major section of the financial markets which were government-owned, the people, through the electoral process, could apply pressure to ensure that that government-owned facility continued to prosper, not be given away to the private sector. Because when you allow an area of human activity to be dominated by a few unaccountable corporations like the financial sector, what you get is the mess we have where morals and ethics mean nothing. Nothing. And even the law means nothing to these people, as we're seeing, as more and more things are coming out of the current Banking Royal Commission. The law, it's something to be sneered at if you're big enough as a corporation. So having a government-owned facility provides real competition in the marketplace. And I've noticed that the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission is talking about, you know, more fines, more fines, more fines. Isn't it ironical? Here we live in a capitalist society and we're told that capitalism breeds competition, competition holds down prices, capitalism breeds monopolies. That's what it breeds. It doesn't fire blanks. It fires sperm that has monopoly in it. It creates monopoly. So the state has to set up an Australian Competition and Consumer Commission in order to ensure that there is competition. How ridiculous. The way you ensure there's competition is you create a mixed economy where you've got the private sector competing with the public sector in the same arena, whether it's financial, housing, and the list goes on and on. Then we have that other beautiful thing called globalisation. I'm not against free trade, if it's free. But globalisation isn't about free trade. It's about breaking down national boundaries, removing the right of sovereign nation states to pass legislation, introduce legislation which protects their citizens and giving that power to privately owned corporations. Now, obviously, in such an environment, ethics and morals are totally dispensable. Although some corporations like to think they're acting morally because they send down their uh, employees, you know, to clean up a bit of garbage on the foreshore once a year while ripping off their customers. And then we have corporatisation, which I you know, kind of mentioned before, that capitalism creates corporations. Corporations dominating the marketplace kills competition. If it's about making a buck, ethics and morals are disposable commodities that you can put in the shredder, in the paper shredder. And that's what we're seeing. So what we're seeing as far as this cricket crisis, you know, like that cricket crisis, the cheating cricket crisis is concerned. Maybe I can find another word, a C word, 
to add to that. Maybe this is more than just a few people cheating in a cricket game, and maybe they've done it before. Maybe it's much more. Maybe it's a reflection of where we have gone as a community, where we're marching to. It's holding up a mirror to ourselves where we are seeing that all the major institutions in this country or a great majority of the major institutions in this country that are government-run and privately owned have jettisoned ethical and moral behaviour in the race to make a buck. And all that matters is that race to make a buck. It doesn't matter how many people you trample. It doesn't matter how many homeless people you create. It doesn't matter how many people suicide as a result of the situation they find themselves in. It doesn't matter how many people's life expectancies shorten because of poverty. It doesn't matter how the lives of many children are blighted before they even leave school because of the upbringing and situation they find themselves in because of institutionalised poverty, institutionalised inequality. It doesn't matter. All you've got to do is listen to the news or read a newspaper or go on social media. The only important thing is profitability. How much profit's been made? How high the stock market's gone? How low it's gone? What's the CEO's salary? What's the latest lurk as far as, you know, not paying taxation? That's all that seems to matter. That is the debate at the minute. That is the debate. There is no debate regarding how how to address the growing inequality in this country. There's no debate about the Commonwealth and how it should be used for the common good. There's no debate about parliamentary legislation which will redress this situation. There's no debate about creating government-owned institutions to overcome the avarice, the greed of the private sector. It's not there. I mean, I have to laugh every time somebody talks about the electricity market. I remember when every state government had a, you know, own the electricity generating units, and that was it. You paid your bills, end of story, you know. You liked it or not, there was a bit of a dispute occasionally between the workers in the generation fact, in the generation facility and the government. Now, you've got all these actors. You've got a regulator. You've got a number of private providers. Some own the poles. Some own the generators. Some do this, some do that. And you can never get any agreement about anything. Just extraordinary. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Scott. I'm hosting today's program. Look, if you're interested in these issues, if you're concerned about the ways, you know, Australia is going, where the interests of the few always take precedence of the interests of the many, well, then I encourage you to join public interest before corporate interest. We're trying to create a political party which puts the interests of the many before the interests of the few. Public interest before corporate interests. Not that we are stupid enough to think we will be elected, but what we want to do 
is we want to change the debate that is occurring in this country, the debate about the need for the private sector to be kneecapped, the corporate sector to be, you know, called to account, and state-run enterprises to be established in order to create competition. So think about it. Public interest before corporate interests. Go down, go to the webpage, pibci.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. Download the application form. That's simple. Haven't got a computer? Don't despair. You can write to me. Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. I'll send you out 100 application forms if you've got 100 friends. I'll send you out one if there's only you've got no friends. Or you can leave a message on 0439. 395-489-0439-395-489. Contact address, bingo. Put a contact address there in a name and we'll send you out some application form. Because you do have options. You know, we're not gunned down yet. Although, considering all the new pieces of toys the Victoria Police will have in the very near future, you know, you know, Guns that fire hundreds of rounds of, you know, pepper spray and smoke bombs and noise bombs and body armour. Because of all the impending riots that are going to occur in Victoria and the rest of Australia as inequality increases, obviously the state wants to make sure that it's uh, there, ready to deal with any dissatisfaction in the streets as the parliamentary options, you know, wither away. Well, think about it. You can sit at home, wait till the day you die and lament the state of the country. I know many of those people. I even include some of them as acquaintances, not friends. You can froth at the mouth, throw a brick through your computer or the television. You know, go to the country, have a sea change or a tree change and dig up the ground and get an outside latrine or something to make you feel better, or you can get involved. Option's yours. There's no compulsion, but there's no point complaining if you're not willing to take action. Listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Scott. I'm hosting today's program. Let's move on. Let's move on. Now, I hate, I really hate with a vengeance. I really hate talking about economics. But in a country where the only debate that occurs in parliamentary circles, the government gilded ABC and the corporate-owned media and the social media is about dollars and cents and bucks and legislation to increase the profitability of unaccountable corporations whose major shareholders will do anything to make a buck, irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national costs. I think it's important to just look at it occasionally. Well, almost every week, don't we? Well, I understand that the government, the Turnbull-led government, well, maybe not Turnbull-led, I did notice that uh, Pauline and Tony have uh, made up. Maybe they're going to form a new political party. Who knows, you know? Yeah, but let's get back to reality. But they're 
they've been headed off at the pass. Turnbull and his crew have been headed off in the past as far as their signature policy taxation piece is concerned. So what's their signature policy? They're going to crack down on the one-third of companies that paid no company tax last year? No. Are they going to introduce a 1% stock market turnover tax to bring in another about $100 billion, Eighty to hundred billion dollars a year in taxation revenue. No, they are going to introduce a one percent turnover tax in order to capture the Facebooks and the Googles of the world who think paying and the Ubers of the world who think paying taxation is a voluntary option. No, what's their signature piece of legislation? Even I, even I couldn't come up with this one, and I come up with a few beauties in my life. They are going to reduce company tax from 30% to 25%. And guess what? They have picked up seven of the crossbenchers, too short of the 39 they need in the Senate to pass this legislation. This signature piece of the Turnbull government a legislation which will enrich Mr Turnbull, one of the richest men in this country, as well as many individuals and corporations in this country who really don't need an extra buck. they got enough. Learjets, helicopters, holiday properties, you name it. they got enough. Maseratis, Ferraris, they have enough. OK. So what would have happened... What would have happened if this 25% tax cut had been approved by the Senate? Because it's already been approved by the House of Representatives. Well, hallelujah, brothers and sisters. Inequality would increase. Now, we are told, and who am I, little old me, an ageing, decrepit, demented, you know, broadcaster, who am I to doubt Mr Turnbull and his crew, that if they reduced the company tax, jobs would increase, wages would increase, Jesus Christ would come back to... Oh, sorry, I made that one up, Okay. Well, you know, some people do research on this stuff. Maybe not me, but people do research on this stuff and some are very credible in terms of, not in my eyes, but in terms of the corporate eyes, and guess what? 30%, 30 cent in every dollar, right? 30 cents in every dollar, which would have been saved, would go into the pockets of 15 companies. And when you think that 57% of shares in this country are owned, or 50% of companies in this country are owned, by foreign investors, you begin to realise what it all means. So 15 companies would obtain 30% of the profits. Now, where does this money go normally? Do people say, wow, we have saved $2 billion in company tax. We will give this to our workers, the people who create the wealth. No. 
what happens is CEO salaries increase. So instead, of, people can update their helicopters and Learjets. Return to shareholders increase. Would be due for the investment class in the land of Oz. And companies buy back shares, which means that those shares that are left become even more and more expensive. So think about it. This signature, this essence of the Liberal National Party, this beating heart of the beast, will enrich people like Turnbull, personally enrich people like Turnbull. Maybe he shouldn't vote on it because he's got a conflict of interest. Personally enrich most of the parliamentarians who have investment properties. I think about 65% at the last uh, count, and that includes both sides of the House. So it's an issue, isn't it? It's a real issue. This is the signature. The signature policy, policy isn't... Well, we'll increase the new start allowance by 10%. Just to ensure people who can't find work or are trying to retrain can keep body and soul together instead of giving them an, an, an increase of 50 cents a day. Whoa, 50 cents a day. We spoke about this last week. I'm so excited. 50 cents a day. No, or maybe we will kind of put more money into the health system. Don't be ridiculous, Joe. And what's so ridiculous about all this is that one third of companies don't pay any company tax. Most companies pay minimal company tax. So it's a little bit like dividend imputation. They're going to get a handout from the federal government for not paying tax. I love it. I love it. I love it. There's only one problem. I don't own any shares. I've been beating myself to death for Decades, because I've got ethical and moral, you know. As I told you, anybody for ethics and morals is an idiot. You want to get ahead in the land of Oz, have an ethics and morals transplant. Give it to somebody else. Give your ethics and morals to somebody else. Some people donate kidneys. You donate your ethics and morals to somebody else. You know, some poor person. Because if you want to get ahead, the first thing you have to do in the land of Oz is get rid of your ethics and morals. Whether you're a cricket, a well-paid cricket player or somebody is ripping somebody, off, somebody else off in the cash economy, you, or, you know, or you know, your local friendly drug dealer, just remember... Ethics and morals are not conducive to wealth generation, okay? Not conducive at all. They're an impediment. They are like balls and chains on your leg. On one leg, you've got ethics, a ball and chain ethics, and on the other leg, you've got a ball and chain morals. Cut them away. Give them away to somebody else who wants them. Don't you, whatever you do, Don't you ever, ever put ethical and moral considerations before your ability to make a buck by screwing somebody else. That's the essence of life in the 21st century. They talk about culture in the cricket world, the win-it-all mentality. 
you know, and a few cricketers become the, you know, the the laughing stock or whatever. People say, look at them, look at them, put them in the gibbet, look at them, put them in the stocks. Let's throw a few tomatoes at them. Let's look at ourselves as a country. Let's look at the cultural prerogatives of this country where those who have money pay the least tax, where those who have money bankroll political campaigns like reducing company tax to augment their profits, while those who don't have access to resources do with, do what they can with what's been brushed off the corporate, scraps that have been brushed off the corporate table. And when they land on the floor we tend to find ourselves for those scraps. All right, let's move on. Something a bit more positive. But I am positive. People say, oh, Joe, you're so negative. I'm not negative, I'm positive. I'm, if I was negative, I wouldn't be here. Why would I waste my, waste my time talking to four walls, talking to listeners across this country, trying to motivate people to take action, trying to motivate people to get organised? I mean, I think change is not only possible... Not only desirable, but possible. You know, hope is my is my motto. Hope, the love child desire and expectation, the desire for change, the expectation that change can occur. Every activist has hope tattooed onto their forehead. Desire for change, expectation that change will occur. Love child, hope of desire and expectation. Because if you've got no hope, if you have no hope, there's no possibility of change. So I encourage you, join public interest before corporate interests. Join the Wednesday Action Group. Join us in the West Papua Rent Collective. On Sunday the 8th of April, you're invited at 1pm, you're invited to lunch. Free lunch provided by the West Papuan community at their offices in Docklands, 838 Collins Street, Docklands, at the boardroom at the back. Now, they've been there for over three years, courtesy, courtesy of the generosity of people like you and me who have to date been able to scrape up enough money to pay the rent for office space. Now, obviously, we're having a great deal of difficulty meeting those obligations currently because we need more members of the Rent Collective. We need more members in the Rent Collective. That's what we need. We need more members in the Rent Collective. And in a, every four months, the West Parkland community has a lunch and speakers and reports back on their activities. Now, as members of the Rent Collective... All we do, all we do is pay the rent. That's what we do. We pay the rent. That's right. That office space gives them the opportunity to organise globally to promote the cause of West Papua independence. Now, I've been talking about this and that over the last, you know, 40 minutes. This is nothing. What we suffer as a people is nothing to what's happened to the West Papuan community over the last 60 years since they're 
annexed by Indonesia and before when they were annexed by the Dutch. For years, for years, people have been arbitrarily executed just for raising the Morning Star flag. People have disappeared off the streets of West Papua. Just disappear. One day they're there, one day gone. Over 500,000 people have died in that struggle, the independence struggle, over the last 60 years. West Papua isn't on the other side of the earth. It's not, in, not Syria or Yemen. It's got, obviously got its own issues and problems. It's 70 kilometres, 70 kilometres from Australia. 70 kilometres. So if you think you've got it hard, think about what West Papuans have to deal with every day. Think of what they have to deal with. And for us to be able to raise a little bit of money to pay the rent for an office which they can use to coordinate, mobilise their independent struggle is nothing. Now, I encourage you to come along to the lunch, open lunch, followed by guest speakers and reports about how far the struggle for West Papua independence has gone. It's on Sunday the 8th of April. Put it in your diary. Not this weekend, next weekend. Sunday the 8th of April. Starts at 1pm. 838 Collins Street in Docklands in Melbourne in the boardroom. You can bring some food if you wish and drinks to add to the communal table, but the food's there. And if you like what you see, join the Rent Collective. Very simple. I can assure you there's no tax deduction. This is not government-sanctioned activity no tax deduction but you do get a warm inner glow and more importantly every four months you can come down to the lunch have a look at what your money's doing how the independent struggle is uh, moving forward it's a dollar a day and if you can't afford a dollar a day we'll just make a a one-off donation to the west Papua rent collective and if you want to join the west Papua rent collective give me a call 0439 395489. Or, or you can go you send me an email to at You can donate anonymously, very simply. I encourage you to, if you're interested in becoming a member of the West Papuan Rent Collective, take the afternoon off on Sunday, the um, 8th of April, and come down. Meet the activists, meet their supporters, see what's happening and become a new member of the West Papua Rent Collective. We need at least another 15 to 20 members in the next three months. If not, we will have to seriously look at actually relocating the West Papua office. That's how serious things have become. People move on, people die. Uh, We need people to assist us in this. And the beauty is you can do it anonymously. There's no tax deduction. You can, you know, you want to lose weight? The money you save from not buying a pizza or a takeaway meal can go into the West Papua Rent Collective at a dollar a day. Still smoking fags, spending 40 bucks a day on a packet of fags? Come on. How about spending $30 a month to keep an independent struggle going? Simple. Got a drug habit? Want to kick it off? Think of all the money you're going to save. I'm sure you can save a dollar a day for the West Papua Rent Collective. So I know... We are harping on it currently, but we do need to harp on it. I mean, it's one thing to say, 
Whoa, I support West Papua independence. I support this, I support that. But this is a, a good way of you know, putting your money where your mouth is. And that's something which a lot of radical activists don't do these days. I know we haven't got much money. Most people haven't got much money who are radical activists. But dollar a day is something. If you can't do it, if you have coffee with friends once a week, ask them to put, say there's seven friends, ask them to put an extra dollar in a jar. Bang, $7 for the week. There's your money for the rent collective. Very simple. But try before you buy. I sound like one of these spruikers, you know. Try before you buy. Come down to the open lunch. 1pm, Sunday the 8th of April, 838 Collins Street. Just walk round to the back. The boardroom's there. Plenty of people there. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the speakers. Meet people. And if you like what's happening, have a look at the office upstairs. If you like what's happening, join the Rent Collective for the next 12 months. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, sometimes we think that certain things are chiselled in stone and that it can never be changed. And time and time again, we see popular movements. That's right, popular movements that change situations which have occurred for hundreds of years in the space of a few years. And we are seeing one of these spontaneous popular movements gathering momentum in the land of the brave and the three, the land of the groper, the United States of America. Last week, we saw over 800 Demonstrations across the country, many with tens of thousands of people in them, arguing for gun control in the United States of America. When the Constitution, which gave militias the right to bear arms, was formulated in 1775-76, the type of arms they had were muskets, not submachine guns, not Uzi submachine guns, muskets. Remember that. So the increasing number of people who are dying in massacres in the United States of America has finally forced the young. That's right. Not the decrepit, not the old, not the middle-aged, but the very young, those at the point of that gun, those who survived those massacres, those who have that fear in the back of their heads every day. It has forced them to mobilise. It has forced them to capture the public imagination. It has forced them to tackle the American Rifle Association head on, who for the first time in decades is finding itself running out of places to hide. And although President Groper may say the right things as far as gun control is concerned, it only takes him 24 to 36 hours to change his mind. So this is what happens when popular movements grow. They can make significant changes. So talking about gun control, isn't it nice to know that the 
newly elected, re-elected Liberal government in Tasmania is going to water down Tasmania's gun laws in order to appease the Shooters and Fishers Party who always seem to give their preferences to the Liberal National Party because they know that they're susceptible to pressure as far as gun control is concerned in this country. All right, let's move on, move on. As I said, positivity. Come to the uh, other positivity, public housing. Now, I know you all think it's finished, that we are wasting our time promoting the cause of public housing. And on this program, you know that every month we have a gathering outside the Victorian Parliament House to promote the issue of public housing. Not as just housing for the desperate, the destitute, the homeless, but as a viable form of housing which will accommodate, that's right, which can accommodate everybody who cannot afford to enter the private marketplace. And our policy is very simple. Now, our next rally will be at midday on Wednesday the 11th of April. That's Wednesday the 11th of April. Wednesday, midday. Steps of Parliament House. Now, our, our tactic is very simple. We want the $6 billion that is raised every year in Victoria from stamp duty, which is a tax that people pay when they buy a house, stamp duty, to be quarantined for public housing. Now, if we can spend in Victoria tens of billions of dollars building roads, tunnels, you know, you name it, we build it, okay? Why can't $6 billion be set aside to provide public housing, which, as it grows, would act, would place downward pressure on rents and housing prices at the lower end of the market. It's very simple. $6 billion in public housing, $1 billion saved for administration repairs, $5 billion to spot purchase or build new homes. You could spot purchase or build between twenty to 25,000 new units, homes every year in the state of Victoria. That would house at least 80,000, possibly 100,000 people. In 10 years, that means a million Victorians will be living in public housing. If there's a million Victorians living in public housing, less demand for private housing. Investors would, you know, jump out of the uh, private housing market at the lower end. Prices would be reduced. More people can enter the private housing market. Rents would decrease. So it's a total win-win situation. But can we gain any traction on this issue? Are we able to gain any traction on this issue despite numerous conversations with numerous people? The answer is no. It's as if nobody wants public housing to be an election issue. Well, we want it to be a Victorian state election issue and we want it to be an election issue in every state, for every state government and every federal government. Because if you can't provide affordable housing to the people you rule... What's the point of having a government? What's the point? There's no point at all. So this particular struggle is important. 
If you can join us at midday on the 11th of April on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, very good. That's Wednesday. If you can't, continue to try to make this an issue. Contact your local representatives. Tell them you want this to be the primary issue at the state election. Not building more tunnels, not fudging about, you know, whether the red shirts did this or the red shirts did that, but public housing. We can accommodate up to 2 million people within 15 to 20 years if every cent that is raised from stamp duty is earmarked for public housing. All right? Think about it. Easy. So there are a lot of easy things that we can do, very simple things that we can do to make a difference. But again, it's up to you, you know. There's a lot of things on the internet, you know. You can... You know, it's good pressing buttons saying like. And then if you like something, well, that's the end of it, isn't it? You know, Or you can shout at the television screen, at the news. Well, that's the end of it too. Or you can tear up your membership card for the Gunner Tribe. I'm going to do this or going to do that. Or you can tear up your membership card of the somebody should do something about that tribe and join public interest before corporate interest. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au, 3cr.org.au. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can leave pleasant messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You got unpleasant messages, just talk to me face to face. Don't forget Conjo Ethiopian Restaurant every Wednesday evening, starts at 6 pm, finishes about 9 pm. You pay for your own food and drinks, but think of the wonderful conversations that you can have with so many disreputable people, mainly golden oldies. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast, so if you fell asleep, don't despair. You can access the podcast by going to 3CR dot org dot au send the podcast to your enemies they'll love it because it means they've got better sense than you have thank you once again for listening to the anarchist world this week on your local community radio station courtesy of the community radio network evil minds that plot destruction sorcerer of death construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.